This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. The following episode is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hi, I'm Arnie Weissman. I'm editor-in-chief of Travel Weekly. What I love about travel is that it is an intensifier of life. No matter what it is that I enjoy doing, whether it's cooking or eating, uh, looking at and appreciating art, when I'm traveling, I get to devote myself to that, and it just intensifies the experience. I think think that's a universal feeling with travel. Learning from experienced deep domain experts is an important ingredient to success. The evolution of information has created opportunities as well as threats to traditional publishers. In this discussion, you'll hear about the journey of Arnie Weissman, Editor-in-Chief of Travel Weekly. Launching over 60 years ago, Travel Weekly is one of the most influential media platforms in the travel industry, an invaluable resource to any travel industry professional. From New York City, this is Travel Is Your Business, covering the intersection of technology and business in the travel industry with Pavan Ball and John Matson. And now, here are your hosts. A special guest uh, co-host today, and that's uh, Nick Vivian. He is the editorial director of T News, and he, he happens to be to my right. I could also be on your left, though, because no one will know. But you're actually on my right, Maybe. so we're just going to go with that. <laughs> Maybe we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> well, happy to have you here with us in studio, and, uh, and our guest today, it is an absolute pleasure to have you over here, man. Uh, thank, thank you. you. Really glad to be here. Thanks for coming, man. My position has changed. I've been there 16 years come October, and initially we had a, we've had we had a website since 97, so the Whoa. online portion has always been a, a significant part of the work. The uh, print edition continues to go strong. Sometimes uh, we're, we're wondering how it defies gravity when we look at what's going on with some of our other media uh, partners, but it has, uh, it continues to be very, very strong. What uh, I also get involved very uh, much in events, uh, we've now uh, acquired Travel Weekly China, Travel Weekly Asia. I'm going making three trips to Asia uh, for the balance of the year. Uh, I have a weekly column, and I do maybe four or five cover stories every year because I really enjoy writing. And uh, I, I have a lot of management responsibilities. I'm a senior vice president with the parent company, North Star Travel Media. But I like to be a player coach. I like to get my hands uh, in, into the interviews and, mm-hmm. uh, and into the writing. Now, the online's been around for 20 years. Uh, the print has been how much? Uh, 1957, I think. So it was uh, a very good year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we've been we've been around for. It was started actually by someone who had been a managing editor at Ad Age, uh-huh. and who noticed there was nothing parallel in the travel industry, and so he started a B two B newspaper, mm-hmm. uh, Travel Weekly, and uh, we have been a very strong brand and presence in the industry since. And you've come along then after the online presence, just shortly after online started. Yes. So has most of your work been in the digital space, or do you kind of go back and forth from written, from the print and online? Well, I start, actually, I started, um, first thing in travel, was a information service. And this is going back to 1985, and it was very modestly called Weissman Travel Reports. 
And it was the first, believe it or not, the first service that had information about every country in the world, unbiased, no advertising was accepted. It was a subscription service. And it uh, initially we were targeting travel agents. We eventually uh, expanded, uh, starting when we did. Uh, you know, every tech, every business that can take off, and you wonder why didn't it happen sooner. You can look for the technology answer, and the technology answer in this case was desktop publishing, and high-speed xerography. Because we started with a fairly low print run, so it would have been very expensive to make mm. plates of 2,000 pages and then do a run of 400. So mm -hmm. uh, we used high-speed xerography, used desktop publishing. We hit, in fact, the first ones were printed on a daisy wheel printer. But uh, as technology moved, it really uh, helped us and enabled us to grow. We, we start, put out a DOS version, which sold all of seven copies. <laughs> but it did get us a foot in the door with AOL when AOL was, I think it had 200,000 subscribers. They were working out of an office not much bigger than this. And I did a handshake deal with Steve Case, and we were in providing the core content for AOL for seven years, core destination content, rather. And did you manage uh, chat rooms and things like that? We had, yeah, we had forums and mm -hmm. uh, we had columnists. And so. We, we learned a lot there, uh, at and I can vividly remember their... Yeah, the door closing, <laughs> right, yeah, as we're leaving. Uh, but we, we had uh, AT&T hired us to build their business travel website, We and we had so many licenses with this information. We were ready for the web when it happened, so that we, uh, if you used one of those early uh, search engines, you know, Netscape or something, you just typed in the word travel. Out of the first 10 that came up, Seven of them was our content private labeled. Mm -hmm. So we, we were licensing to everyone, to, uh, to actually uh, Apple, Time Inc., Marriott, mm. uh, as well as the AOL thing. So we had a, a nice multimedia business, which I, I sold at the end of 96. Whoa. How did Google affect that? Google was just kind of rising as that we was, were what, 2000 2001 yeah right? and and so i mean i think nobody would have started this business now because it's so easy to get information i was i started it in part because i wanted to uh see the world and i'd saved up after college uh, as far as until i hit a financial goal i wanted and then i was ready to take off and go to africa and kind of work my way through africa and visit friends in the peace corps and i tried to find out information about how to get from point a to point b was it was very difficult in 19, uh, it was 82, 83 before I was leaving. So uh, I found after walking into and out of 20 travel agencies saying, I want to do this, can you help me? But I don't want to go on a tour. I finally found a very well-traveled travel agent. And so when I came back and I was thinking about this, I thought, why couldn't they just open mm -hmm. a book or something? And looked into it more. I actually enlisted my travel agent to be my partner initially, and uh, understood how learned to understand how travel agencies work, and realized a subscription service was the way to go, and uh, got it up and going. That's that's awesome. So it was about the same time that Tony Wheeler and and his wife were running around, right? Right. Oh so yeah, very, I used similar, after, yeah. They had uh, at that point they only had. Uh, continent books. Yeah. Uh, they didn't do much, so I ha I went through Africa with a Africa on a shoestring. Yeah, that was and, be Lonely Planet. I didn't say Lonely Planet, but that's yeah. who founded Lonely Planet. Mm -hmm. is Tony Wheeler. Yeah, so that's yeah. And I'll tell you, one of the highlights of my career was I was able to be the one to introduce Tony Wheeler, founder of Lonely Planet, with his wife Maureen, and Arthur Fromer. 
I oh, had, I had cool. yeah, they had never met. I, yeah. I put together a roundtable, a guidebook roundtable. I had, and this was early days for him, I had Steve Kaufer, who had just uh, started TripAdvisor. I had Tim Zagat, uh, Arthur, uh, Patricia Schultz of A Thousand Places to See Before You Die, and Tony. I just had him around the uh, table and talked about the future of travel guides and what we're, where things were going to go. Where was this wow. meeting? It was in the Friars <laughs> Club here in New York. Uh, just do that again with the same people. It would it would be yeah. very interesting. And I'll tell you, right now. And, and you know, Tim Zagat and Arthur got into it. And here's like two Yale trained lawyers who mm-hmm. kind of ended up being guidebook publishers. And uh, I remember Arthur saying that. Uh, well, first Tim was saying that his reviews are never wrong. You know, kind of the wisdom of the crowd is always right. And um, so Arthur said, well, I personally would rather find out what Frank Bruni, who was in the New York Times food critic, thinks. And Zagat said, uh, what the hell's he got? A PhD in taste buds? <laughs> you know, and that, <laughs> and that, you know, and it's, it's interesting because there's still to this day is that divide of do you go to follow the guru or do you follow go with the wisdom of the crowd you know i think the yeah. answer is it depends yeah. and both. i mean these yeah. days it almost feels like the crowd a little bit um just with digital and social having such an influence it's yeah. uh that or i guess maybe the wisdom has been uh, distributed yeah well it's hard mean, to get to yeah well i mean let me ask you Pavan. i mean if you're uh looking for a restaurant which would be uh closest do you you certainly don't take the first Yelp review you might see. I don't look at Yelp at all. Yeah, or, <laughs> yeah. or or would you would you look at a Zagat roll up and and have the confidence that that's that's what you need to know? No, I go to Eater. I go to uh, more local things, infatuation, infatuation. That, that crowd, in a sense, crowdsource experts or people yeah. who have, who have a real interest in not just in that domain consumer. Yeah. Uh, and then I also cross-reference with Instagram. So this is what I was saying. It's kind of distributed. So then I'll mm-hmm. cross-reference with looking up the place on Instagram, seeing what the environment looks like for myself from the from the lens of their consumer base, and then make a decision on where I want to go. And then I then I look at Yelp like last. Then I say, <laughs> yeah. okay, yeah, like yeah. now. And then if it's, it's someone from you're... like Missouri telling me that like the service was <laughs> shitty, I just yeah. And and I'll tell you, completely. it's tough when you're Sorry, traveling Missouri. because. You've got uh, you're in a small town that doesn't really have necessarily a big base, and yeah. you're, let's say, looking for a Mexican restaurant, and all the reviews say great margaritas. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. you know, and yeah, you're thinking, absolutely. okay, you know, this is not telling but me what from I want to know. Perspective too, right? yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, some margaritas are great, but not all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, most are pretty great. No. Most, are pretty, most are pretty great. Most but, do the know. job. Yeah, <laughs> not all of them are great. <laughs> They're all functional. So I, uh, you mentioned earlier, um, you know, technology was playing such a piece in kind of building Weissman travel reports. Are, are there pieces that you're seeing now? What, what part is technology playing in the travel industry that you see that's so wow. impactful? It, you know, it's, it is huge. And, and it, I'm, it's, uh, I almost don't know where to begin. Last year, I uh, went to CES, the uh, consumer electronics. Yeah, but they don't like you to call it that. If you, and every press release says, do not call it that. Well, we're just going to go ahead and tell people what it says. It's the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas. It's right, a right. Ginormous conference. It is. Yeah. And uh, it, I spent most of my time when I was wandering around in the kind of entrepreneurial area where they're little booths, just, you know, kind of people who couldn't afford a big stand and things. And there was something called My Menu which really interested me. There were only like four or five things in this ginormous place mm-hmm. that actually I thought had direct 
were directly travel. There were a lot of things that were sort of around travel that certainly would be helpful travel. What year are we talking about? Right last year, last okay, January. Just recently. And um, my menu was an earpiece you put in that translates what you're hearing. And it's, it, I thought, man, that sounds awesome. Um, as one guy I told about this, said, there's a seven-second delay. So he said, it sounds like the worst first date ever. You know, someone's going to talk, there could be this kind of silence, and then... <laughs> Please hold. But, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, you know, you do wonder, you'd have to be in a quiet room, yeah. you know, if there's no other voices going. Um, but I, on the subway on the way here today, I saw a press release from my menu. I'd signed up for it. Uh, Marriott has brought them into their um, kind of greenhouse, which they call, um, what is it, test bed. Mm -hmm. And uh, they are now putting it on people uh, reception, in reception, giving them the oh, My Manu earbud. So. And it said instant translation. So maybe just in these last 10 months, closed that, the has, gap, yeah. that has closed the gap. Wow. The, other, the big question with technology in, in terms of travel, what I, what I see and what I think, is has to do with hospitality. And uh, it has to do with keyless entry and with a number of different uh, technologies you see being rolled out that reduce the contact between human beings and guests, with staff and mm -hmm. guests. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, I once heard Barry Sternlich speak, uh, the guy who started uh, Starwood uh, initially, and, and he said, I, you know, my ideal hotel would have no humans because only humans make errors in a way. You know, but uh, he was only saying that half facetiously because certainly humans do make errors. And um, on the other hand, I was recently as with my family and we were going into uh, a Hilton. And this was one that had keyless entry. I downloaded the app. Then I realized, uh, what about the rest of my family in terms of a key to get in? I had the, the, the one. And so um, I stopped at the front desk and I said, how is that working? And the people at the front desk said, you know, we... We kind of hate it, you know. Like we don't, we don't have a chance to wow anybody. So they said, "Okay, wow us." So they gave us, you know, bags of chips and <laughs> water. Wow. <laughs> wow. It was, it was, it was what they call a uh, limited service hotel. It wasn't, it wasn't a Conrad. Uh, but uh, you do, you do wonder what is that balance, and I think it varies tremendously, guest to guest. You know, some really just want, they want efficiency. They want, uh, they don't want to see, you know, they don't want to have to be in their bathrobe and answer uh, a, a, when room service comes. They want to, you know, have something either there or be able to, to do it without much uh, interaction at all with another human being. And then there are those who just want it all. Mm. I'm, I think I'm in the middle. I kind of like the convenience of uh, a lot of that technology. I definitely love having an espresso machine in my room, you know, something like that. Um, and I, I resent it when I see there's no ironing board or iron in the closet because mm -hmm. they think they're, you know, it's such a high class place. That I went to a six star resort in Morocco or a little bit outside of Marrakesh mm. and uh, had literally had two irons for the entire resort. And we were there for a wedding. Yeah. And the entire wedding party was at this resort. Did they have a steamer? 
It was shocking. <laughs> well, how much to was their laundry I facility? Just... That's why they don't have two irons. Laundry. Oh, they, you know, so it's so they force you to the use their laundry. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, oh, that's that's which it. Is yeah. 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 Which is a shame. Like yeah. I, um, my friend who had come with uh, his full family, two kids and wife, and had dropped off laundry before, then moving on towards Portugal, and uh, he spent three hundred fifty dollars on his load of laundry and. Well, he case, just he didn't expect it at all. And, and it speaks to that kind of weird, almost difficult to comprehend uh, reality that at Motel 6, your Wi-Fi is free. Mm-hmm. And you stay at a five-star resort, yeah. and you, you have your choice of three different speeds, mm. you know. And it's yeah, the first different. one, you'll, we'll steal all your information. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, that's a whole, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they make it up in another yeah. way, right? Yeah. But, uh, and you know what, you know what kills me is, is, is uh, we'll get warm up to this topic, resort fees. And uh, I did an analysis of the resort fees in Las Vegas, and... What was interesting was that a lot of the they were they were clearly stretching to find what can we how can we justify the resort fee, and so a lot of the things like the, like some of them were ridiculous. Mm-hmm. We had twenty four hour uh, attendance at the front desk, you know they're mm. they're they're just they're just mm. and there was absolutely no value comparison. I mean it's it's not like. Uh, it was so arbitrary what they yeah. decided to charge for what they were giving you. Some of them would include an airport pickup and actually a lot of extras and charge, you know, $15. They probably were doing it beforehand and said, okay, we can charge $15 more. Others, you know, gave you not much, but it was 38 75 You know, they just, and it was across a whole uh, parent company of uh, a hospitality group. So uh, I think that is one of the most pernicious things that has entered into that. I don't mind paying. I don't. I think that while I don't love all of the ancillary fees that the airlines charge, I, for the most part, see what I'm getting. I see what the value is. I get a few more inches of real estate uh, for my legs, which I think is fair enough. I mean, they're selling real estate, so I'll pay a little bit more. But um, the resort fee is just there's no rhyme, no reason to it. All right. Well, this is a perfect time to first uh, grab a snack, and uh, but I'm going to need my re- resort fee though first. Oh, fair enough. Oh, snack guys. It's on my snack even, but you know. uh, so Arnie, you were um, uh, gracious enough to uh, adhere to our snack policy in uh, at, here at uh, Mouth Media, and specifically travel is your business. So, what did you bring for us today to uh, to snack on? Well, this is something I picked up in uh, Shanghai, and it is a it, the only English on the box says peanut puff pastry so we're going to find mm. out what what, what that, that means, means. yeah <laughs> and uh, the, the chinese have to say for their candies and sweets and uh the the moon cakes and things they have the best graphics they and a lot of them they some you sense have never changed they're the still kind of that uh from any decade you name and others like this have been revived this sort of uh has a a picture of uh of woman a hostess from i would guess 1930 uh, ready to provide you with a peanut puff pastry. It was a good year. It was a good right. year. Do you pick Chinese snacks like most people do, like bottles of wine? Oh. Just like- <laughs> but, well, there's a, there's a, there's actually a close uh, correlation in that I pick these up to bring to to as a 
hostess or host gift yeah. when I go to someone's house rather than a bottle of wine. Makes sense. And uh, it's just kind of a fun and uh, is extra thing. Is it always thing. a surprise when you eat it? Yeah, <laughs> like well, sometimes. I mean, they're, uh, we're, we're so going to find out. We're going to dive right into this. Yeah. More with Arnie Weissman, the editor-in-chief of Travel Weekly. And uh, we're back in a moment. Hey, everybody, this is Vikram Iyer, former advisor to President Barack Obama. Have you been opening your Twitter account or Facebook feeds or even just talking to families and friends and wondering what the heck is going on in this country? Well, it's not as bad as you think, but we're going to unpack that for you. Join me at the American Enough podcast on the Mouth Media Network as we unpack the policies, executive orders, and daily kerfuffles that are shaping not just this administration, but the modern face of America's politics. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. Keep up with the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Our episodes are available on iTunes and Google Play and online at travelisyourbusiness.com. Plus, there are a lot more great shows on Mouth Media Network. Take a trip to mouthmedianetwork.com to enjoy them all. And remember, we love fan mail. Drop us a note to say hi, suggest a guest, or if you'd like to become a sponsor on the show, email us at travelbizshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. So we got some great lens into, um, you know, your perspective on the industry and uh, just great comparisons on experience. Why don't we switch paths uh, to talk about more of the content, the business of, 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 of content? Yeah. So, um, Arnie, where, where do you think the travel industry stories come from? Is it experiences? Is it is there something in the industry that are indicators? Well, you know, it's it's funny. There's I, my degree is actually in creative writing, and and one of the 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 mantras, if you ever take creative you writing classes, University of Illinois, mm. um, is that character is plot, which means you you know you create characters and you just let them loose, and the story writes itself. And when it comes to the travel industry, I can't think of an industry that has seen more change and drama. And, uh, I mean, and you can look at it in any number of ways, uh, technology, certainly. Uh, and then everything affects it in the sense that, you know, travel uh, is, in one hand, fragile. And it can be easily derailed uh, by weather, by a volcanic ash cloud, by politics, by terrorism, uh, by war. I mean, it's just it, any illnesses that, that uh, break out and a whole region has suddenly fallen off the map. There's just a lot of drama that's, that's just drama, you know, by anyone's definition, that really has a strong impact on travel. So, you know, the character of travel determines its plot. And so a lot of what we do uh, is is just reporting. I mean, we're we're. I think we have the the largest, uh, most experienced news team. Uh, we have uh, two uh, full time and one uh, regular freelancer who came to us from the New York Times, and we take all of that very seriously. I think we do uh, a, a great job at it. So there's the news aspect of it, and then there's what I think we bring to it which is uh, context. Uh, it's because we do have a team that is knowledgeable, experienced. They can put into perspective what has just happened. 
Uh, we, we often will have a uh, look at one story from several entry points. We have uh, beat reporters. So there we have on staff an, an expert in aviation, an expert tour operator, expert in cruise lines. So when something happens, we can look, if it's, if it's a big event, we can look at what it means to all those different aspects. Um, and then we also have uh, opinion columnists like myself who will, uh, on, a, on a weekly basis, try to make some more sense and, and provide what insight we might have from our previous experience. Uh, and we have, a, what I guess in, in parallel to other sorts of publications, a, a feature well where we look at destinations. And uh, in there, too, if you were to look at what we're doing this year and look five years ago and five years, it's not going to be the same destinations. I mean, this is just uh, things rise, they fall. Uh, for various different reasons. And one thing that has, uh, I think, been a huge change just in the in the 16 years I've been uh, editor-in-chief is the impact of globalization in so many ways. So, uh, you know, we ourselves now have Travel Weekly China and Travel Weekly Asia. We have our events on uh, every content, continent but Antarctica. Uh, we, I, I speak all over the world uh, at, at events um, that uh, are global in nature because travel has become global in nature. And uh, the, the, I won't say that the book writes itself or the, you know, that the, the website populates on its own, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it isn't difficult. Our news meetings tend to be what aren't we going to write about rather than what are we going to write about. Yeah. How, how close are you to the... Um beyond the story so the digital outreach the technology that goes into running a content platform such as travel weekly i am uh at thirty-eight thousand feet yeah i have uh our managing editor rebecca tobin uh is sort of the lead when it comes to digital uh digital platforms and she is. She's done. In in addition to just we 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 have a constantly we're we're always working on the next version of the website, and she's the liaison. And we're as we're part of a, a larger company. It's actually uh, quite interesting. The the web development team moves from platform to platform, title to title, and everyone says, "Well, this is what what we want." So each time the platform moves, it develops and and. Because each of us thinks we want different things, we get the benefit of what we may not even know that we wanted. And um, so she, she's on that. Uh, she started something that um, – she didn't start the concept, but, boy, she manages it well. And that is our Twitter chats regularly in one hour get over 100 million impressions. It is for a B2B platform. We trend nationally at the top. Every time we have million one. impressions. Yeah. And what, what we do, it for, there's, there's yeah. ways to do that. And, and so she uh, gets co-hosts uh, yeah. who have big followings and they get there. They also help promote uh, what we're, when we're going to be doing it. And really right from the start, we were amazed at the numbers. I mean, they, we, you know, the worst one we started was like 40 million, you know, and then we're, then we're just like kind of going up, 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 up. And uh, one of the ones that's uh, most popular, and I think this is reflective of, of kind of the strategy, is that uh, every year I do a roundtable with the consumer travel editors. So the editor-in-chiefs of Condé Nast Traveler, Travel and Leisure, National Geographic Traveler, New York Times Travel Section, uh, Savour, 
magazine, uh, we sit around and uh, talk about travel trends, similar to how we're doing right now. And then those uh, editors also participate in one Twitter chat where people can interact with them. And that one's always through the roof. Now, have That's you started awesome. experimenting with like Facebook Live and engaging through there as Twitter slowly? You know, we dies? we we probably should. We're not doing as much as we could. I I quickly embraced Periscope. Okay, <laughs> oh, yes, as, as we should. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you hey, know, it turned I, out to be a uh, lot of people did. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. Alone on oh that. no, I mean, like as soon as we, I thought this is awesome. This we we, we don't have to bring video with us anymore. Yeah. We don't have to do that. And uh, so we experimented with it a lot. And, you know, they, they, it just didn't catch on the way we all sort of hoped. And frankly, Facebook Live is is doing it. And uh, we just need to turn our attention to it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you guys do the roundtables. We're big fans of those at Voyager, too. We found that, like, doing that has, like, the best kind of leveling of playing field. Um, but your sound's so targeted on a high level. It's it's really interesting. Have you been able, it sounds like you've captured that in some way to with the Travel Weekly, travel weekly audience. But... Are there other ways that you, you bring those out to the community? or? Well, you know, we, we've thought about, do we want to do this live? Do we want to do the roundtable live? And, and the fact is, so I personally edit down, oh, God, probably, you know, 20,000 words down to 5,000 words. And those 5,000 words are mm-hmm. great. The other fifteen thousand. <laughs> it's not that they're bad, but but frankly, sure I'd rather. Yeah, there. exactly. So, you know, t- for the sake of our audience and all that, I'd rather just you know Respect do the editor. Yeah, I mean, like it's you know the word now is curation, right? So uh, <laughs> editors have a have a uh, which is uh, the place. same thing as editing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so, the and and the, the fact is, if we had a staff that in, that had a great video editor, then. I might have a different right. uh, take on that. Uh, we we have videos on site. We you know we're kind of going with the short, mm-hmm. and you know the the sort of more or less current model. Mm-hmm. Um, so, to, but to do something like that uh, would be a, a, a production that's right now beyond our resources. Not to say it wouldn't mm-hmm. be uh, something we would do within even the next year or two, but right. not so far. Let's talk curation more. You know, I really love this idea that curation is is back, but it's also, you know, kind of went away maybe because there's all this digital content all of a sudden. And how you feel that between print publications and digital, is curation different? You know, what you decide to put in print versus digital and just kind of walk us through that. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, so the real estate uh, on the web is a lot more than we will have uh, in print. Uh, and so, for instance, going back just to that, that round table, uh, if I boil it down, let's say, to um, 8,000 words, right? And I think that's really pretty good. And I do, there is some uh, regret of what gets left on the cutting room floor. So we will actually run part one and part two uh, on the web, whereas on, uh, in print, we only do the, do the part one. But so I think, you know, this is where when you look at media and where media is going, B2B media has a tremendous advantage over consumer media, I think, as, as a sustainable business model. Because if, uh, and, and not, to, not to knock my brethren who are doing consumer travel magazines, but man, they have got a lot of competition. You know, if you, if you just look up a, uh, you name the destination, you name the, the, the interest, the type of travel interest, and uh, through their brand strength, they may kind of come out on top, which is, would be very good. 
but there's just a ton of bloggers and and you don't see that as much in the in the business world there um I think they exist but uh the b2b model if your business depends on having the most up to date important news and you've come to rely on uh a couple of brands uh travel weekly i always hope is one of them then that is a much more difficult position for someone to assail. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, we've got a lot of brand strength. And how easy is it when they, you know, when the consumers, I guess when you do have a limited amount of time B2B or consumer wise, is it, is there still loyalty? Are you saying also that loyalty is easier on B2B or is there fewer outlets or is well, it, how does that look I think, I think the way it works is, so I, I'm not without competition. And uh, what, we have our research shows that uh, people come to us. We, we ask my two favorite questions. One is if you, uh, which do you open first, pick up first? Uh, and then two, if you only had one, which would it be? And we do very, very well uh, on those two questions. And I think today we all uh, have time poverty. So if you're the first, if you would be the only, if they could only choose one, odds are, they may be the, you may be the only one that they're reading on any given day. So uh, I think it's smart of, and our competitors have done this, to, to look at specific angles. We're relatively widespread. We have all the different verticals we look at. Some focus more on technology, T-News. Uh, others are, are we're very uh, focused on distribution. Some focus even more on, let's say, travel agents. Uh, our travel agents make up the majority of our readership, um, well over 80%. But anybody who is interested in distribution is going to read us. So all the senior vice presidents, I get uh, emails from uh, CEOs of cruise lines who have read an article uh, and, w- and just want to send me a comment. Um, and going to your point about the curation and print and online, one of the things is what we're seeing is this rise of travel agents again, you know, and they are curators. It's curation, are, right? Yeah. It is. Ultimate it, curation. I it mean, is. They're the I mean, originals, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so kind of what's old is new, and uh, they, they never went fully away, and they survived because they embraced technology, the ones who survived. And certainly not all of them did. Those who, those who did not embrace technology are gone. Um. But the sophistication, this is one thing I would say Travel Weekly as a brand does well, is that we assume that if if you're a travel agent and you survived, that you are a sophisticated business person. We are not going to talk down to you. We are, we are going to assume you want to know about your competitors. You want to know what's going on in the online world. Um, we kind of, it was strangely, it shocked some people, but early on we had a... Uh, a cover story on Expedia, and it had a picture of Darak Haurashahi, now at Uber, uh, with his arms around the globe, you know, saying Expedia, global ambitions. And everyone was, uh, our competitors were all running articles saying, take that, Expedia. You know, whereas we felt, <laughs> look, if you're competing with Expedia, you got to understand what Expedia is doing. And I think that partly is... is uh, why we have have uh, managed to retain our position is respect for our readers. It's the thing we always got to remember, right? Because that's you want to give the right information to make the right decisions. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
What gets you most excited about uncovering a story? Like, do you like to find them? Where do you like finding them? Is it at places like CES or these um, events that you're speaking at? Uh, or is it really just going to the root of the interest that you have in travel and just getting on the field and going somewhere and exploring? It's a combination because what what I do love, I mean, sometimes people will, uh, I hope I don't regret saying this, will come up to me after a speech or something and just sort of want to say, they're really excited about what they're doing. And they get me really excited about what they're doing and they become a column or they, you know, that they, uh, you've got to, obviously, uh, you have your interest, but uh, you get shaped by things that you have no idea what it's going to be. And, and this is one of the things and I, I've always not liked is uh, a lot of websites will have the my version, my AOL was I think the first one and my mm-hmm. this and that. And so you get a stream, a news feed that has what you're interested in, but you miss as, you know, one had no choice but to do, you know, turning the page and seeing a story that you never in a million years would have sought out. Mm-hmm. But it is really interesting. It has an impact on you. It changes how you uh, how your interests are because it's just adding some new information. And so I think that's what's lost, and you see it in politics, People just want to hear what reinforces their own beliefs, and it shuts them down, you know, and it it polarizes. So I think this is a disturbing trend, is is this sort of uh, these silos we're all putting ourselves into. And I try to keep myself not uh, there, and I Mm -hmm. think I'm I'm a proud generalist. So one thing I always like to... uh to discuss is how to do PR correctly. You know, when you're out getting stories and finding stories, a lot of times it's uh, inbound coming towards you. Uh, what are some of the experiences you've had with uh, maybe less than ideal outreach or what are some of the tips you can share with the audience? It's, it's funny. So, so I, if I have a pet peeve uh, about PR, um, it would, I shouldn't start there, but I'll start there. It, <laughs> Just it, go right it would into be, it. Yeah, yeah. would be, uh, the the phone call saying, "Did you get my email?" I was like, and "I was like, did the internet go down?" Now, I don't say that, but I wonder. Of course, I, I got it and I deleted it, and that's that. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's hard because I mean, and, and I do have some sympathy because I mean, I, they are trying to get attention of people who can get their message out, and we who receive their email also receive. And I don't think I'm alone in this. You know, four or five hundred emails a day. You know, I'm in every list. I didn't opt into one of them. And there uh, you, you get bombarded. It's just a fire hose of information. So I would say that the subject line is all important. I mean, if the subject line does not grab me, I am not opening the email. And um, that is that is just kind of the, the the basic fact. I got an email today. Actually, I did open it because the subject line said, Thailand brochure to spam. Like they forgot, they they apparently just forwarded whatever someone, did. I thought this is wow. the most refreshingly honest subject line yeah. I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. Instead of like urgent press release. Yeah, right. And you're like, right. oh, cool. Well, that's that sounds thing. really urgent to me. <laughs> yeah. Let me just yeah. get onto this press release. Yeah. You know, right? yeah. And I, you know, and, and I think people who write bad subject lines and have really good content are doing themselves a disservice because, you know, we'll never see it. And the relationship matters, you know, it's Very like, if you don't, if you don't know me, it's, you're already at a huge disadvantage. So it's almost like investing. Well, th- this is fascinating. This is important for people to listen to. What are the best 
uh, and both of you guys could riff and reflect, but what are the best subject lines that you've gotten beyond <laughs> Thailand brochure to spam? <laughs> Why, that's good. I mean, I, uh, that's an interesting what, one. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell the the content matters to the extent that, uh, and and I look at, and I think Nick, you probably do, is the the from. Yeah, I was just about to say that. I was yeah. literally just about and, to say and, that. And, I don't read subject lines. I just look at names. Yeah. If I don't know your name, it doesn't matter. And if I know I don't like you, then I will delete it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, we like, we'll discuss things well, about people who are just really aggressive or who have done some unethical things or whatever that is. But it's, it's the name. Because yeah. otherwise, what do I have? Like, I can't decode Thailand to Spain. Like, yeah. I don't think you have time for that. <laughs> but if it came from someone I knew, then I would check it out because maybe it's funny. Or yeah. And, and there are ones who I think the, 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 the best uh, PR practitioners are the ones who, uh, who really do understand your brand as well as understand what you yourself do. And uh, there are ones, I, I, I will forward as many emails as I respond to, to other uh, staff, where I think, okay, this is something that, that this person, but, but why am I really on the list? I mean, they, they really should know Travel Weekly well enough to just send it to, 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 to the, that beat reporter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the poor managing editor is just getting constant forward, 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 forward. <laughs> I was like, this could be cool. Maybe we should look at this, you know, and then that's, it's another stress yeah. point in the relationship. But, so. but if you if you if you actually do know the person who's sending it to you, because uh, I, it's funny, the fr- I started right after nine eleven. I started October fifteenth, two thousand and one, and it was a kind of desperate time for travel, and the people who basically said, "I see you're new in this position. Let's have lunch." People who did that within the first three months are people I still open their emails from. And uh, they, it wasn't even necessarily they had something important they were pitching me. They just, they wanted to get to know me a little bit. And it, they made the personal connection, you know, and that, yeah. that makes a, a difference. It's pretty simple, right? Pretty yeah. straightforward there. Yeah. But, you know, even as, so now, you, you know, well-established for several years, both you guys as editors in this space. And I can't even imagine um, how many uh, email inbounds that you get on a daily or if not weekly basis. How, how do you, as somebody that's trying to forge in a, a meaningful relationship with you guys, that it comes from honesty and purity and, and can drive value to your publications, how do they do that now? How do they find time with you to get coffee when the last thing you have time for is coffee right, right? so <laughs> yeah. you, you probably drink seven cups alone you know sitting there on your own yeah. like why do you need coffee with this person so yeah uh how, how do you wave that attention flag in a meaningful way it's interesting i'm thinking of actually some recent uh things that turned into meaningful uh even cover stories uh and some of it does have to do again with that relationship that i might not have even heard of, heard from them in five years but uh, I'll get an email and they'll say, because I recognize, Arnie, you really need to read this. I'm, now, by the way, that subject line is going to get uh, <laughs> maybe a little. Must read. <laughs> yeah, but it's got to be from someone I know. Because yeah, that one, right, you know, right. um, but if, if and, and there are those, and you know, Nick, there's those who basically aren't going to bother you unless it's your story. And that is, uh, boy, does that go a long way, you know, even if I know them, but they're always trying to throw things at me and see what sticks, they'll get off the list pretty quick. But again, this sounds like insider baseball still. It's not someone like, what if John Matson, who is, yeah. you know, a, 
who may want to express the interest of getting involved in his community of Voyager, right, mm-hmm. um, is completely cold to you. You don't recognize his name, but they're doing meaningful work for yeah. a community of people that are kind of like the next generation. So it's something that you want to pay attention to and you yeah. would normally yeah. want to make time for maybe in your earlier days or whatever yeah. it might be. So how how now does that get to to your desk and get your attention? Full disclosure, we did have a story in Travel Weekly, actually, just uh, like a few weeks ago. So. <laughs> <laughs> so how did it work? Yeah, yeah. yeah I should ask you. Yes. Right. Uh, it was through a, a warm introduction. Through okay. one of our, yeah, one it of has to through. come through a gatekeeper mm-hmm. almost. Mm-hmm. Well, is, this, is that what well, you well that, I mean, this particular, I, I am sitting here now yeah. because a former Travel Weekly uh, staffer on the sales side, but mm-hmm. who, you know, I, I said hello to and, you yeah. know, had a few conversations with. Just wrote to me and I recognized her name and uh, she said they're they're doing these cool podcasts and uh, I think you'd enjoy it and yes it was a warm introduction That's it tremendous. wasn't cold but then it comes shout from out to the, Jenny yeah nicely done <laughs> yeah. but the thing you you just highlighted there and we used to say this when I had restaurants is to do cool shit that's the key here. That'll you know, stand out. No that's it. Straight up. Like, do cool shit. You're don't, fine. Don't, don't write don't a stress. stupid ass uh, don't, subject line. Yeah, or do a stupid ass company. Or a stupid ass product. You know, like, like, if you do a trip planning startup, just realize that we're not going to write about you. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. unless it's something fresh, you know? And so I think that really is the fundamental thing is just, just don't do the boring stuff and, and make it work. And then, of course, content marketing. I mean, you know, you guys get out and write your blogs and we, we get inbounds that way. We read things. You know, yeah. we also have eyeballs. So, you know, getting our attention via the email inbox is only one of many channels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I think, too, uh, when I see speakers at conferences that impress me, you know, they, they, and they're, they're not necessarily public relations, but they're just interesting people. Right. And, and they have, well, you know, what I love is, is hearing someone who may not be in travel, but I see the parallel with what they're doing to travel mm-hmm. and they become an interview subject because I, I want to know how they then view the travel landscape. Well, uh, it's been a great discussion so far. Uh, in a moment, you're going to hear more, uh, cool shit <laughs> with some, uh, personal questions with, uh, off the beaten path as we discover the more uh, human side of uh, Arnie, and uh, we're back in a moment. If you're a business decision maker, you should listen to this. The show you're listening to is produced by Mouth Media Network, a podcasting network focused on the business of lifestyle. Because of our team's background and deep connections with brands, influencers, and ecosystems, we offer a tremendous opportunity to bring your company's message and products in front of decision makers from several verticals, including fashion, beauty, travel, materials and textiles, health and fitness, and lifestyle. To explore opportunities to partner, email us at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. The beaten path. That's right. It is off the beaten path where we ask our guests uh, questions that are more inspired on you know who they actually are because they're uh, human as well, which is you know interesting. <laughs> so, and these questions and these questions are asked randomly, and we decide the order and who asks these questions with the help of our favorite airline personnel. Attention, passenger Nick Vivian, please report to gate 72. I don't like to hear my name called out on the PA. Never makes Nick. me comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Question from way back when. Let's see if this is too far. 
creative writing what's the first story you wrote like that you wrote wrote not just mess around with but like the first story oh that's uh perhaps going back too far yeah that's my favorite part that's pretty <laughs> trying far to think, i'm trying to think <laughs> of uh, any of those early like, yeah, maybe yeah, that was yeah. published or the first significant story in your life that may have stuck with you yeah i mean there was there was uh what i found so i went uh my first year in college uh and i'm not making this up uh, i i didn't i was very undirected i guess would be the way to say it and i took um japanese tea ceremony bowling square dancing oil painting voice which is wow. really kind of a joke um and organic gardening and uh i remember when my father looked at at you know the report card he said what no ping pong yeah yeah, yeah. Just, so um <laughs> But uh, after a year, I just felt like I was wasting money. And so I dropped out for a year and was, uh, I worked in a cafeteria in Boston's combat zone, uh, which was an education in its own, and uh, then saved money the whole time and traveled uh, for the second half of the year. And I went to Europe and, you know, did backpacked around. But uh, what I found was I did a tremendous amount of writing when I didn't have any classes, when I didn't have, you know, anything that was pressuring me to do anything one way or the other, I was writing. And so when I came back to school, I was gung-ho uh, to be a, a creative writing major, and which at the University of Illinois was called rhetoric. So I was a rhetoric major, actually. That's fantastic. Maybe they should call that. Maybe we should go back to just calling that because now just it seems with like yeah, it just seems <laughs> yeah. like what's been going on now. At least everyone can understand the power of words finally, yeah, yeah. right? You know, or maybe re-understand, re-grasp it. The roots yeah. of what they're doing. Exactly. It's just rhetoric. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, next up, attention, passenger Pavin Ball, please report to the information desk. That sounds like my name. Um, Mispronounced. Really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, have you always? This is not the question, but you've always had an appetite for travel, even as a kid. I had a lot of pent up demand as a kid. My parent, the first time I stepped on an airplane, I was sixteen, and um, we did the classic hop in the. It wasn't a station wagon; it was a Dodge Dart. was was a compact. We hopped in, mm. would drive from Chicago, where I was born. Uh, on a you know four week trip hitting everything Grand yeah. Canyon Yosemite Yellowstone you know nice. we would we do the the whole thing on a camping trip and so I though was very curious about the world and curious to get on an airplane and do all those other things and so uh, I would say I was when I did the dropping out of college for a year and saving up and traveling. That may have been, you know, I was undirected, but I was directed. And uh, so that was just the first step. And once I got going, I never looked back. So in those days, 17, right out of college, whatever it may be, going into college, coming right out of college and saving up and going on these travel excursions, what type of traveler were you? What did you go to seek out? Uh, I would say I was more a rambler than a traveler. Um, I would go uh, to, and I, I went uh, when I was, when I finally got going, I went for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. So I uh, started out in Africa and camped uh, with an overland truck through 10 countries, uh, which was uh, 
one of those things where uh, I wouldn't do it again for a million dollars, but I yeah. wouldn't give up the memories for a million dollars. Very interesting experience. And then I worked as a nanny in Cyprus for a little while. I picked fruit in Israel. I kind of just... All in this one... All in this one, one trip. And a half year yeah, trip. And, okay. it, and it was really... I'd stay somewhere until I felt I knew it and was uh, it wasn't necessarily anything more to do there. And, you know, the, the whole equation of time is money is usually... People, that people go, hurry up, hurry up, you know, time is money. But the inverse is also true. So, and you know, this is a real life example. I was in Cairo and I was trying to get to Athens because I knew there were cheap tickets in Athens so I could go further east. And I figured it out if I uh, flew, it would be $100. Uh, if I took a bus to Haifa, a ferry to Limassol, another ferry to Piraeus, and a subway, you know, to to Athens, it was $96 and would take three days. And I would do that because I had a finite amount of money, an infinite amount of time (laughs) at that point, and I was after experience. So I wasn't rushing to get anywhere, and uh, that uh, ended up not only allowing me to to travel a little bit longer because I was really cheap, um, Mm -hmm. but experienced so much more. Fantastic. And our last question. Ladies and gentlemen, would passenger John Matson please report to gate 23A? Mr. Matson, you're up. That's me. Uh, Arnie, you've done a lot of traveling, and uh, it's inspiring. Where um, of the places that you've traveled could you imagine having grown up, and why? Hmm. What a great question. I mean, another way of... of looking at is like, you know, where would I even now want to live possibly potentially? And, and, you know, that, that list is very small actually. Mm. Uh, I think, uh, and it's not necessarily, I, what I like about the question, which it's not, what's your favorite place? Because I wouldn't want to live in most of the places that I like to, <laughs> to right, necessarily right. visit. I would think it would be fascinating to grow up in Bhutan. I think Bhutan is just a, uh, one of the, the best managed steps towards modernity of a developed country I have ever seen. It is controlled, but it is not boxed in and restrictive. It is, you know, they they had very famously uh, that their uh, parliament had to consider gross national happiness along with gross national product when they were going to be passing a law. They've actually sort of dropped that. (laughs) But... But it's part of the culture. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's still part of the culture. And it's a very poor country. But uh, it is a, from what I could see, as someone who just kind of drops in and and goes through uh, with a, you you get to know you have to have a guide. And generally, I really rebel against that. I really don't like a guide. But this guy was a portal into the culture, into the community, and you could see why they would want that. And they, you know, they don't want uh, a tourist hopping into a, a religious ceremony to get a quick picture. You know, they want someone there who can explain exactly what's going on. So as that reflects the culture, a thoughtful culture, uh, uh, one that cares about uh, its future and cares about its past, I think that'd be a cool place to kind of steep yourself in and, and grow up in. Do you want to leave our listener uh, with a final thought? Yeah, I mean, the the travel industry, I, I had said earlier, is fragile. And, you know, it's uh, 
we're in the, the state of the world, no matter what your politics now, feels like we're always walking towards a precipice. That there's, and th this, you know, I'm old enough to know that there have been other times of great disruption, upheaval, threat, and that we muddle through and we end up stabilizing again. You know, the dangers that are going on right now uh, are often technology related, you know, that, that whatever we do, whatever we face speeds up so quickly that if it is uh, a truly significant danger, we might not as human beings be able to process things fast enough to deal with the dangers that technology presents, interestingly. Mm -hmm. um, so all of this to say is, going back to travel full circle, is that travel is that time when you, and it's not escape, but you go to a place where you can slow down and be thoughtful about things that are going on and that, that, that have an impact um, on everything because you know, from the smallest thing you can learn about the great wide world and you need of that vacation from your day-to-day -day life with all of these things going on in the grand world uh, if you can for a little while and when you come back the perspective you get uh, helps you go forward and helps, frankly, the world go forward because you're in a better place at that moment. Great. And uh, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. What I hope that folks... sounds good. It's probably a little disjointed. Yeah. Let's speechless. It's good. Either that or you're asleep. I, mean, <laughs> right. no. No. I had too much coffee today yeah. to be asleep. That was good. <laughs> um, what, who, who are you, what types of folks are you looking to connect with these days? And uh, what is the best way to connect with you? Uh, you or know, it could I, be uh, yeah. travel weekly so it, and the what, things what's, ongoing. What's interesting weekly. is I get a lot of, one time I, going back to uh, what Nick was talking about earlier with PRs, one time I, I was going to uh, an event called Pure in, in Marrakesh, and someone said, here's our 10 clients who are going to be there. Who do you want to speak to? And so I wrote back and I said, listen, I'm going there as a columnist. Which of these people has a good story? Which of these people are interesting personalities who, aside from their hotel, I'm not going to write about you know how beautiful their hotel is necessarily, but who can bring some story to it? And I never got a response. But that's who I'm interested in. I want to hear people whose stories, uh, and and whose stories are are in some ways bigger than themselves, bigger than their companies, uh, who can provide insight to our readers uh, that progress the narrative, that, that get them thinking in ways that uh, they become more creative in no matter what it is that they're doing. Fantastic. And the best way to connect with uh, me, Travel Weekly? Yeah, it, I mean, I have emails, you know, even though wow, <laughs> I've got all those things, I'm going to go ahead, go ahead and say email is probably the best way. I Phone calls, my light blinks all the time. I don't even bother getting messages half the time. Um, a, a. Weissman, and that's... Uh, Spelled, um, I'll give you the right spelling. Mm -hmm. It's A W E I double S M A double N at travelweekly.com. Great. And, and be uh, sure to use the, the, the headline urgent press release. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how many people can listen yeah, right. and follow the rules. <laughs> well, uh, you've been listening to a conversation with Arnie Weissman and 
thank you again, Arnie, for being here. Uh, really an absolute pleasure. Thank you all. So for John Matson, Bon voyage. And Nick Vivian. Our, Until next time. There it is. And uh, for myself, Pub and Ball, uh, we uh, hope you enjoyed your stay with us. Take care. This has been Travel Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show, or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at travelisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, travelisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.